You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So simple. Step one, we Google the biggest flops on Broadway. Step two, we find the crazy stories behind them. Step three, we see how they lose millions of dollars. Millions? Broadway isn't cheap. A lot of fancy people want to be producers. Step four, find out why the show won't go on. Step five, end this episode and head to Times Square. Times Square? That'll never work. Only Broadway successes are in Times Square. Ho, 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 ye of little faith. What's up, theater geeks? What is up? We're excited about today's uh, episode. We are excited. Yeah. This is episode number two of Smash, the NBC hit Smash. Extra syllable. Smash. <laughs> <laughs> I try to make you laugh. Most of the time it works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Smash. I'll do it with a lateral lisp. It's kind of fun. Smash. <laughs> Let's watch some smash, Ebony. <laughs> oh, oh, Lordy. <laughs> yeah, so episode two. Yeah. I, I, I will say up front that episode two has a lot of exposition. It's a lot of setup to yeah. what will happen in the future of the show. Right. So whereas episode one... I mean, they really hit the ground running with the pilot episode. Yeah. There's a lot in it there. Yeah. And we know exactly where they're going and what they're trying to do and what they're going to accomplish. Yep. Uh, not, you know, not in, in its entirety, but you see the shape of the show right from the very beginning. Right. But I will say the episode two, although you get a better idea of each individual character, mm-hmm. the story doesn't really go anywhere in episode right. two. But that's okay, because you right. have to have exposition. Otherwise, you don't have a, a full arc. Right, because it, it's not like nothing big happens until the, the end of the episode. Right. Um, but, but then even, I mean, for those of us who have seen this, the whole show, like we, you know, we know that the ending isn't necessarily, you know, what <laughs> is going to happen, you know, right. so... Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it was a good episode, you know, we've got thoughts about, you know, some more men in power issues, 
Because Derek just, he's the worst. He's he's a skis. He's a skis. Uh, You know what I love? Because my very first note was uh, based on, like, basically the opening scene of the episode where you've got Tom and Grace, the writers, in a meeting with Angela. Angela? No. What's the producer's name? Eileen. Eileen. Thank you. (laughs) It's Angelica. That's where Angela came from. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Eileen and Derek, the director. And Derek says, you know, um, Ivy looks like Marilyn, but Karen feels more like Marilyn. And Tom's first remark to her is like, how how do you know what Karen feels like? And it just really, it sets the tone for the whole episode, basically. And I love, I love Tom because he is an ally. He yeah. really, it, he really does stick himself out there at, at the detriment to his career. Yeah. For to, Ivy. To put that man of power into question. Yeah, he does. He does. He does. And, and he also like Ivy is his friend and he yeah. fights tooth mm-hmm. and nail for her. Like there's a lot of people who will say they'll do it. And then when they get yeah. in the rooms, they don't. But he said he was going to do it and he did, he does it. He does not back down. Well, and rightfully so, because there are a lot of times where I think people will stand up for a friend who's not necessarily the perfect, you know, choice. Right. But in this circumstance, Ivy really is the perfect choice for this role at this time in this musical. And he's willing to put his neck on the line for it. I love that. I like Tom. Yeah, same, same. Tom and Grace, I feel like Tom and Grace are my two favorite characters in this series. <laughs> so far, I mean, I'm sure so that, far, that will change yeah. over time, but, yeah. but they're great. I love I, it. And they love them both as actors, but they're yeah. just in this show. I love it. What were you going to say? Um, I, I, I think Tom, for the most part, is who he is. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, just from start to finish, I mean, he's human. So there are some like bumps in the road. He's, you know, not perfect, but I think for the most part, um, I didn't feel like he veered sharply from his character, but I could be wrong. It's been obviously a number of years since I, since I watched (laughs) it. Um, and then I, I've, I remembered like, you know, something that happened in this episode. I remembered, what happened in the finale and I was like oh right this doesn't end (laughs) (laughs) this just goes on for two years you know they always have to have something like that in every series in the world there's always that one relationship or that one thing that never gets its conclusion but ultimately if it does reach its conclusion then the whole show is over Right, because right, right. that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting to see some closure in right. you know, Ross and Rachel. You've got um, oh, I, I Doctor Doctor Steamy and Doctor McDreamy or whatever. Oh that, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Always those love those right, love stories right. that you know. I Although mean, I isn't really McDreamy's dead? Isn't he? Well, he's, he's now, but yeah. like when it first started, like that yeah. was. Well, that they have the to do thing. something. You have to do something drastic. If, if what the audience is waiting for is for the two characters to finally get together and fall in love, yeah. and you're and you do it within the series. Well, in yeah. order for the series to continue, you have to do something drastic, like kill someone. 
That's what, that's the natural progression. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Television is so crazy. It really is. Well, it's, <laughs> so, it's so formulaic and yet it's still something that we fall for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like but people, think, like, like people who watch Hallmark and it's like, it's yeah. literally the same exact story yeah. every time. Like yep. I... I had one Thanksgiving, I had a little bit of a feminist meltdown at my aunt (laughs) because my aunt is one of the strongest, like most uh, outspoken women, not even just women, human beings I have ever known, but will love a Hallmark movie. And I was just Mm. like, auntie, why? <laughs> there, I mean, and I get it because I'm also, I'm with you on that. <laughs> you will never, my friend Juliet wants me so much to love rom-coms just like she does. And I can't, uh-huh. I cannot do it. I don't <laughs> like them at all. They're horrible. But there is a form of escapism in that. Yeah. Like I read my, the books that I choose are fantasy novels. They yeah. are vampires and zombies and witches and whatever, like mm-hmm. dragons. Like I love those fantasy novels because yeah. it's escape. It's because there is nothing in this world that is vampires, zombies, dragons, witches. Right. Like there's nothing there. That's all fantasy that you cannot like, but if I'm watching something like, Oh, the Handmaid's Tale is the perfect yeah. example of this. Too real. I read the book. Yeah, and I the read book the book. Was great. And but that's all I could the, do. I can't. <laughs> I, I watch it because it's so well done. But mm-hmm. I'll finish an episode and then turn it off. And I'm like, I can't. I can't watch anymore. Because <laughs> you're right. It's too real. And yeah. it's something that like could happen in a month. Yeah. Like this, the, the, the fear yeah. <laughs> in my heart. It's, it's, yeah, so that I just can't. But like the fantasy stuff, throw it at me because vampires don't exist. <laughs> yeah, no, they don't. they don't. I would argue though, witches do exist because I do, you know, know people who are Wiccan. Yes, yes. But it's different because magic yeah. isn't real. It, you know, right. w- Wiccan, the idea of energy and right, using right. The, the earth, that's absolutely, I can, mm-hmm. I can believe in that. But like to be able to conjure something with spells and potions. Yeah not necessarily yeah. real. Wish, kind of wish it was sometimes if I'm honest. I know, right? <laughs> totally. There's only so much lavender oil can do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love me some essential oils. But... Yes, they're wonderful. <laughs> do you know what is so funny? What? I have to read you my top three notes. So the okay. first one I just read to you, it was mm-hmm. the, the exchange between Tom and Derek. And my next note is Derek is gross. Yes. Point. My third note is why are there so many ads? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. NBC.com for free. It's like, yeah. you know, I mean. It's free, but it adds about 25 ads where, that you have yeah. to watch in order to get to the next scene. But that's so like, we're so not used to regular television anymore. So true. And that's basically what that is. It's just yeah. like, if we watched it on regular TV. It's true. But and it's so funny because that's the reason I got, like, that's the reason I don't watch it anymore. That's the reason yeah. why Netflix came into my life and stayed there. Yeah. I don't have to watch ads when I watch Netflix. And Prime. And and prime and there's something very desirable about that yeah that's also why i don't watch hulu very often 
Yeah. Because there are ads with Hulu. You have to upgrade in order to not have it. Yeah. Not willing to do that yet. I know. (laughs) And really, honestly, the only thing I watch on Hulu is Handmaid's Tale. And we we just talked about how frequently that is. (laughs) I started watching. uh, So I love the Ava DuVernay show, Queen Sugar. My best friend told me about it. And then over quarantine, I've just, I finished the whole series. It's not done. Yeah, it's on Hulu, Queen Sugar. And just like the way she is able to marry good storytelling with social issues. Yeah. It's based on a book. Okay. Um, And so there's four seasons. Is that four seasons on Hulu? I think. Okay. Um, but I know they got renewed for an, another season. So that's why Great. I'm confused. It's either three or four on there, but then they got renewed for a next one. It's real good. Nice. But, but yeah, the ads, the ads even on, on that were not as bad as flipping NBC.com. For it, there are five ads in a row, five times during a yeah. 38 minute episode. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like. <laughs> we were watching so this was actually kind of funny yeah we watched as a zoom party yeah uh and so we had i think three other people watching with us this yeah. time right yeah and one of the the ladies at the end you asked the question you know are we ready for another one and usually the answer is no because it's nine o'clock and that's way my bedtime yeah <laughs> but she goes oh wait a minute i started episode two and like we were all still finishing episode one and it came out then that she was like oh i bought the whole season so i don't have to watch the ads <laughs> yes. yeah but we were all like how did that happen we all started at the same time it was very funny mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, she she was on. She had she was like ten minutes into episode three. Yeah, and we were still <laughs> finishing up episode two. So funny. Oh, yeah, it was funny. So that that um, but that opening scene where they're in the room arguing, mm. and you know, Derek says that it's funny though. Derek says that that Karen feels more like Marilyn, but then it's like. All he does is berate her for that. Right. The entirety of the episode, he picks on her. Uh, what, here's, I think, what he's doing, though. And this is, this is a device of a lot of really skeezy directors, mm-hmm. is that they will tear you down in order mm-hmm. to build, them up, build you up in a way that they want you to be. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily coming from your own inner strength or your own talent as an actor, mm-hmm. but tearing you down and making you so vulnerable that you just do what they want you to do from that point on. And it's horrible. It is a horrible thing to do. I've heard that also about a lot of uh, theatrical instruction. I was on um, a webinar this week with the American Theater Wing um, and a a young woman that I know, she was on the panel and she brought up like just this excellent point that I've heard from a lot of people who've um, studied theater in a lot of these programs across the country that, you know, she's like, we you you go in with all this excitement and this joy and then mm-hmm. she's like we have got to figure out a better educational system instead of like yeah. breaking people down and then yeah. graduating all of these broken individuals i mean right. ruthie ann miles told her story about graduating from the nyu program and she was like that program messed me up so hard like 
I love therapy. I'm in therapy, but she was like, mm-hmm. I was on ther- in therapy and on multiple medications after that. I was not on oh. before I entered the program. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have another friend who went through another uh, drama, like I just have a number of friends who've gone through programs who've come out just like they, you know, I have one good friend who said, she put it so well, she was like, they break you down to build you back up, but they don't actually know how to build you back up after. They don't. So they just leave a broken mess and it's, it's it's emotional sabotage is what it is. It's an abuse. It is absolute abuse yeah. and it needs to stop. It's, it is basically emotional rape. Yeah. They take away from you something that is inherently yours yeah. and they tell you that you're crazy for having it in the first place. And mm-hmm. it's, ju- I mean, it's gaslighting. It's terrible. Sad. It's terrible. Well, and there, there are stories about, and it's mostly actresses that are treated this way. They don't mm-hmm. certainly treat the Marlon Brandos of the world in this manner, but uh, Jack Nicholson- I, I do know some male actors who- Okay, been, well, I mean, yeah. I'm sure that that's true. And that is yeah. good to know that you've got some anecdotal evidence as well. Um, the evidence that I have heard stories about are, are women, are actresses mm-hmm. in the field, but there's a specific one that I can think of right off the top of my head, and that's Shelley Duvall. Mm-hmm. Um, filming The Shining, where Stanley Kubrick made her feel insane the entire time she was recording that movie or she was filming that movie. And it was so that her character would be insane on film. And that's the thing. If you're an actor, you don't have to feel that way in real life. That's what kills me. It's yeah. like, you hired me because I'm a good actress that would right. be able to perform exactly what you want from me. So don't, you don't trust me to actually do it. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. And that's what theater, that is what, that is per, what performing is all about. It is about trust. Yeah. I trust the director and I trust my castmates. That's right. To, to be able to play together, mm-hmm. to have this collaboration. And if you take that trust away, you don't have anything left. It's a yeah. relationship that has broken trust. Yeah. You can't go back to that in a normal way. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's a serious problem. And, you know, we talk a lot about like how to fix the pathway mm. and the pipeline to creating a more equitable um, theater community. But I'm also like, there's some leaders there's, we got problems with some of the leaders. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's so, where all of the issues lie. Yeah. With the establishment as it is. Yeah, yeah. And in order to fix that, you have to start from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, some people got to go. That government, <laughs> education, and, and all of these pre-existing fields... It's not, but that's just it. It's not, you're right. It's not going to happen, which makes it even more frustrating because you see that the issues are there and the issues are very, very real. And there are no, there's no fixing the issues at hand unless you start from scratch, but because nobody's willing to do that, you know, that it's not going to get any better. And like, they'll put little band-aids here and there. Like there are, um, uh, into the sea coaches within, within the realm. It's huge. And And advocacy coaching is starting as well. Like there's a, like one or two, uh, women of color. I know who are one, one is out. I think she's at a theater in Oregon. Yep. That's right. Um, and then I've just heard of another one 
on the East Coast. That's fabulous. Yeah. But it's a Band-Aid. Yeah. When what you really need is a tourniquet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lordy. Here we go. We're just starting. starting, (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we're just starting. (laughs) I will say, let's let's get back to something really happy because one of my favorite things within this uh, series as a whole are the musical inserts. Yeah. All of these performances that they're doing, the music is fantastic. Yeah, it's great. And it's Mark Shaman, right? Oh no! I think we're both. I know (laughs) this is terrible. I think that's what I saw. Shaman and Whitman. We're both doing it. Who's gonna get it first? Do do do. Not mash. Smash. (laughs) (laughs) That's hysterical. Writing credits. Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman. So I was right. But they're, um, they, oh shoot, because now I can't think of what else they've done, but they've done a lot. Um, Yeah, Mark Shaman's very famous. Hairspray? (laughs) Let's see. Yes, hairspray. Okay. Mary Poppins. <laughs> I was pulling that out of the deepest recesses of my brain. Mary Poppins, yeah. Uh, the, the newest uh, movie version of it. Excuse me. <clears throat> awesome. Um, so, like, they're, they're big hitters. They're, yeah, yeah. You know, these are, these are guys that have been there, have been, doing, have been doing the good work. But the music that they write for this TV series is just spectacular. I mean, especially when you think about the fact that, like, they're having to have at least one, if not two new songs per episode. Yeah. I mean, that's never happened to, for any other <laughs> television show. Like, when you look at the other shows that came before it, like Glee... Glee mm-hmm. was a catalog of songs that were written already. Right. Yeah. You know, and then when you take a look at the shows now, even Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, it's mm-hmm. a, it's songs that are already written. They're already yeah. part of. My our, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, same yeah. thing. No, yeah. that's actually no, not are, true. Those are original. Yes. Yes. And that um, Adam, Adam uh, passed away this year. He wrote a ton, a ton mm-hmm. of them. What's his last name? <sighs> Shoot, where's my Google? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he he was young. I mean, he was our age. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy ex Um, And he died of COVID, I believe. Adam Schlesinger. um, Yeah, that's it. Adam Schlesinger. Oh, so sad. He was only 52. Oh, he was not our age. (laughs) I thought he was younger. That's not our age. But but yeah, it's sad. And then, I mean, that's the second person because the other person who passed away who was on that show um, is Nipsey, the rapper. Mm. So uh, did you watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the I first watched, season? Like, the, yeah, I watched the first season. So he's in the first season. There's, okay. I mean, I think it's the first episode where she has the song about getting ready for um, the party. And like, yeah. if you remember that song and it's just like the bathroom looks like a murder scene. And then there's a black gentleman who comes in 
and he's rapping but then at the end he's like i i'm really shook after seeing what he's seen and it's yeah. like and then he goes back and he apologizes to all the women he ever said anything wrong to after <laughs> seeing like how crazy her bathroom looks that's the late nipsey <laughs> Oh, yeah. That makes me laugh and cry at the same time. I'm going to look yeah. at a picture. <laughs> Ava DuVernay is going to do, uh, she is doing, I think she's doing um, a movie about his life and. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nipsey Hustle. Hustle, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say Russell because I was like, that's not it. But I know that's it's, I it. it was Hustle. But you're right. No, it's, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you so, turned my happy note into a sad note, Ebony. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no. I mean, the 20th Century Fox Mambo, I, that's so Brilliant. fun. It it's is so fun. fun. It's so perfect. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. It was, uh, yes. And that's right. Like, that's toward the end. And it's just yeah. so good. I so love good. it. So good. The opening song is Call Me. That's the first song that Karen is <laughs> at a club uh, singing, but it, only in her head. She just like can't, she's, they haven't even been called for the call back yet. Right. And then, um, so yes, her fantasy is singing. Call. She's a singer in a nightclub kind of yeah. situation. And the entire casting, uh, like the director, the writers, um, Eileen, the yeah. producer is there. Like they're all there watching her sing Call Me by Blondie. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's woken up by a fellow coworker who says, Hey, table 10 is waiting or whatever. It is. <laughs> so it's very funny. I do like those little, that, that device that they use for Karen. Cause they've done that a, a couple of times now in episode yeah. one and two, where her, her ideal is going on in her head and not the actual real life. Like we don't right. see her in the audition room in front of a table singing her Christina Aguilera song. We see what she thinks she looks like in her right. own mind. I like right. that. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, can you remind me what the closing song is with Megan Hilty? That's the last song. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's, it, it, um, comes back around because then she is in a club, but it's real. And Tom is actually. No, I didn't. Is that I didn't it? recognize that song. I have to look it up because I don't okay. think I don't believe that it was new. I don't think it was either, but I didn't recognize it, so it might just be a cabaret song, like nothing that's in a show. Do, 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 You know, I started singing and Puddle came over. Did he? Yeah, he's sweet. He loves it when I sing. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, that's... Goodness. Okay. Oh, great. Crazy Dreams by Carrie Underwood. Oh. Oh, I didn't even realize that it was like a secular song. Yeah. Well, Although Carrie Underwood is very theatrical and, and storytelling in her, in her music. So it makes sense. But I, I didn't probably have, that song. I, yeah, I, I don't listen to much country. But there's, you know, of course, there's a couple um, Carrie Underwood songs that... Yeah. Um, She's got some great stuff. I don't like country at all, but Carrie Underwood's got some great music. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, those are the, there were only three songs that episode. Call Me, 20th Century, Fox Mambo, and Crazy Dreams. There was a callback to Let Me Be Your Star. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right that those were the, the new offerings that they yeah. gave us. Yeah. Yeah. So we see the scene. They're talking about uh, who's going to be it, and they just can't come to a decision. So they're like, well, we're going to have to have another callback. Yeah. Now, this does happen quite frequently. When you're, when you're uh, casting a new musical, you will have several callbacks because you want to make sure that not only are you casting the right person for the right role, but you want to see different combinations of people together so that you know that you're fitting in the right chemistry of people as well. So they're going to be complementary on stage. So four callbacks for a brand new Broadway show is not unheard of. Right. But it can also be emotionally draining. And that's kind of what we see with both Ivy and Karen. Ivy, who's probably been through this process before, although not to the extent because she does a lot of ensemble work. Right. But Karen has never been through this before. Right. The way that they perform their frustration and and being so overwhelmed emotionally is so brilliant because it put me right back in that place and it led right perfectly into the dance call, which I hate. I hate dance calls. They're horrible. I'm not a dancer, but I hate them. Like they're just, that's where my anxiety lies. Like give me a script and say, read page 32 for me and I will meet you there and I will bring new material. Like it's cold readings are my thing, yeah. but put me in a, in a room wearing dance clothes and tell me five, (laughs) six, seven, eight, and I'm going to lose myself. Like I just, I get very anxious and awful. And so Karen is right there. Ivy of course is a dancer and she's trained, so she's got it. But Karen feels uh, less than, right? let's just put it that way. But did you notice how there are no scenes of Megan Hilty in her dance call? Yes. (laughs) And do you know why that is? Was she pregnant? No, Megan Hilty actually can't dance. <laughs> she cannot dance. I, awesome. I, I know because, uh, you know, when they did the, the, they showed the concert for, for um, like a couple months ago. Yeah. They, and then they did that cast reunion. Uh, they, did, they did two cast reunions and one of them was on Seth Rudetsky's show. And she was like, I'm, I'm a, t- I'm, she said, my resume says like mover, but she's like, yep. I'm barely a mover. Like I'm oh, so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. She's like, they just throw me around and I raise my hands up. Like that's all that happens, you know? And then if you go back and you like watch the, the song in the first episode and after knowing that, and we watched it and I was like, Oh yeah, that makes total sense. Like yeah. they are just throwing <laughs> they her can around. Do anything with editing. <laughs> <laughs> but literally, well, like she's well, just yeah. being thrown around by totally. the other actors. Yeah. It's like holding your core, Megan. <laughs> That's all you need to do. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. I will also say, because dance, they do, they just suck. Dance calls suck. And and I can imagine also there's there is another dancer in the room that's Ivy's friend that's kind of keeping an eye on Karen and like just kind of this really catty behind the scenes uh, stuff that's going on. 
which just makes it worse. It's so isolating in the first place to be in a situation that you don't feel comfortable in. And I am talking to you as a person that is pro Ivy. If I were in the casting room, Ivy is who I would cast. Right. Karen is wonderful, but she doesn't have experience. My vote would be for Ivy. However, the way that they treat her is awful. Yeah. It's so isolating. It's so like demoralizing. You know, like at one point they're both there for a callback together. Ivy is surrounded by friends and the the writers come over and they're saying, hello. Oh, it's so nice to see you again, blah, blah, blah. And poor Karen is just sitting there all by herself. And it's just that right there is a mind F. Oh, totally. (laughs) That's why I love that. Like Deborah didn't even stay by Ivy. She saw what was happening and she was like, I'm not having this and goes right over to her. And I was like, I was like, these things feel really weird, don't they? I'm so sorry that you have to do this. Yeah, no, she's, (laughs) it was, it was awesome. That was really cool. But it was just, oh, what I will say that I laughed out loud when the door shut in her face. Oh yeah. He he's the worst human. (laughs) So Ivy comes in at the end of Karen's dance rehearsal to presumably go over scenes for herself. And so they kind of meet in the doorway and (laughs) Ivy walks in and Karen leaves, but she's kind of standing uncertainly by the door. And the door had another question. Yeah. He just slams the door in her face. He just just shuts it, shuts it and it clicks right in her. I mean, it was but I did laugh out loud, but that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> but then next scene, she's talking with Deb, her boyfriend, and she's spot on. She goes, I hate him. He's a psychopath. Yeah. It was so brilliant because yeah. it's like, yes, you're putting, yes, he is a psychopath. Yeah, he's, he's terrible. terrible. I, what did Deb say back to her? Did he just well, he was He basically just told, yeah, and he was just like, get used to it. And she says... I don't want to get used to it. And I was like, yeah. you shouldn't get used to it. No, you, you shouldn't. shouldn't. And also I think you need to dump your boyfriend. Cause that's a real terrible thing to say. And that's not yeah. being an ally at all. No, but that wasn't, I mean, I guess that was being supportive back then. Like I know it's that terrible, this is only though, like a decade like, ago. But then watch <laughs> how Tom is. Tom is like, he just, keep screaming what a terrible person Derek is. And then like, I, not, it, it's clear that just like, it's clear from that contrast, somebody's paying attention and is like, women shouldn't be treated like this. And somebody mm-hmm. else is not paying it. Like just, he's like, I, I mean, too, he like comes from politics. Right. Yeah. So He's used to seeing and being numbed by watching har- mm-hmm. horrific things happen to women. Yeah. Oh gosh, but it's just like, well, it's wh- the I, idea I don't understand of- how you couldn't say that to somebody you love. Well, That's what I'm not understanding. But here's the thing, because then, then I'll, come at, I'll come at it from another angle. If the woman that you love is in a business where that is what is to be expected and you don't ever want to come across as what her parents are, which is maybe you should just do something better. Like maybe you should just go to college. Maybe you should do something else. Then you're going to come across as, as supportive in, in the way that you know. Yeah. So I think that what he's saying to her is coming from a place of love Yeah. and is coming from a place of, Hey, listen, 
I get it. It sucks. But that's the business. You know what I mean? It doesn't, but also it just because feels that's, like... Yeah. No, it's it awful. Does. It's awful. But, but I think that's what everybody felt. Like, that's what everybody was saying 10 years ago, 15 years ago. A year ago. Well... And there's, that's very true too. Yeah. It's really not until most recently that we have now numbers behind us. Right. This is what they do. And I mentioned it before, but they isolate. Right, right. To gain power, they isolate you and they make it seem like you're the only one going through this. But if you yeah. say anything, you're the only one that's going to be affected. But that's right. not the case. Right. Every single person in this field, every single person, every single woman, has a story like this. Right. Every single person within their field has a story like this, has had a bad boss, has had a situation where they yeah. felt like they were being taken apart yeah. and, and demoralized and just ripped to shreds by the powers that be. And they had no one to talk to about it because they, they feared for their career for their physical safety, for their emotional well-being, whatever it was, you know, fill in the blank, whatever your fear is, but that's, that was the case. But now everything is coming to light. And you know what they say about light? When you shine light on something, the shadows have no place to hide. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They just go. I thought you were going to say the roaches came out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they go and hide too. Hey, listen, I'll use that. I'll use that metaphor as well. Shine a li- if I turn the kitchen light on, those roaches go scurrying. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we're doing. We're shining yeah. a light on the, on the issues at hand, and we are causing those shadows or those roaches to flee. Yeah. And that's a good thing. But it can only happen because we feel safe enough to take that step. Right, and we right. only feel safe enough because now we know we're no longer alone, that right. we've never been alone, that all these other people are going through the same thing, and there is power in numbers. Right. That's right. It's a good word. (laughs) (laughs) What is Ellis Deal, the assistant? That's the thing about him, right? It's like, mm, it's a great character because right now you're like, if you hadn't watched the show and you didn't know he was terrible, you might be like, I mean, I I have an icky feeling about him, but I'm not sure why. Because oh, he's, he seems he's that, awful. But then he's like, always listening through doors yeah. and sneaking pictures yeah. and getting in the room and just being creepy and weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't like him. Yeah. I, <laughs> I told you what, I told you, I told you like he still gets yelled at. I told you that, right? Yes, yes. That well, that was actor. in the group chat. So yes. uh, was it Megan, your roommate that said that? I think it was. But she posted in the group chat while we were watching the first episode on uh-huh. Zoom that the actor who played Ellis still gets yelled at. I, by I'm on the, the one who said it. Oh, you were? Yeah, okay. I'm the one who I said it. I wasn't sure yeah. who to which. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. And it was, I read it and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. I feel just, so bad. He's an, I'm like, but guys, he's true. an actor. He Don't yell that job. you, yeah, and he did it really well. He did. But he he's like a person with feelings, yeah. <laughs> you know? I feel so bad. Can you, I mean, if you think about it though, it might make, <laughs> if it was me, it might make me laugh a little bit. I, he, I mean, he maybe said not it on if that, it happens constantly. Right. He, he <laughs> said it on the call, uh, on the Zoom reunion call. 
Mm-hmm. And the whole rest of the cast went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, no. And he was like, yeah, yeah. Still get yelled oh, at. Man. <laughs> <laughs> he just to walk down the street and somebody you don't know just goes, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Holy crap. Oh my gosh. I'm sure yeah. he's not the only actor that's ever oh, happened no. to, but of course oh not. Lord. But I feel like in New York too, if you're an actor in New York, it doesn't yeah. matter how famous you are. People feel like they can just talk to you like you're a normal per- like a normal human being. Like they yeah. just come up to you and be like, hey, I don't like what you did in that scene there. <laughs> like in that episode, you were really rude to that girl and I don't want you to do that again. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I did. I, I yelled. It was funny. So... I had seen Hamilton at the public and had like stood next to Renee Elise Goldsberry and like had a conversation. But then I saw her walking down the street, like a few months later, after having seen it, I don't know, the third time or something and just like yelled, I love you. And she goes, thanks. Has no idea who I am. (laughs) Oh, that's really sweet though. If, if some rando yelled, I love you, I'm like, I'm going to say thanks too. <laughs> That's very sweet. <laughs> oh, I have a question for you. Yeah. This gave me such confusion, and I guess I should have just gone back and watched the first episode again. Is the, the actor that played Leo the son the same actor from the yes. first episode? It yes. Is? Yes, he it looked is. Entirely different. Yeah, it's the same actor. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. I wonder sometimes because sometimes the pilot gets shot. Right. They don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to get pip- picked up and he's a kid. So right. t- enough time could have passed where he just he just looks different because of Maybe growth. that's, you know, you might yeah. be right there. But it was so, like, jarring. <laughs> I, I, took like a, I, I took a second to look and then I was like, I need to write that down. <laughs> I was so confused. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's him. And what I love about his character is that he, he's super excited for his parents to adopt. He's not the broody, Mm -hmm. angry teenager who's like, why do we have to do this? I don't want to do this. When they're, when they're supposed to meet with the social worker, he comes home from school early on time. He's better on time than his freaking mother. Yeah. Even. (laughs) <laughs> he's got a great scene with her though yeah. uh, it was after brian darcy james what is his character's name i have to look the up husband i don't need yeah, don't worry don't, i'll just call him brian okay um, where brian and grace are having a converse well a fight really about yeah. brian is kind of losing heart so they find out that it may actually take up to two years now before they right. can adopt this child from china And so now Brian Darcy James is having second thoughts and he's saying, I want to go back to work. I, I didn't think this was going to take so long and two years just might be too Frank. Thank you. And, and two years just might be too long. And so, uh, Grace is feeling like, 
I mean, I took a year off work. I mean, I we're all in the same boat. I thought this was what we were doing. So then skip to the next scene and it's between Grace and Leo. And it's so sweet because Leo says, you can't back out of this because you right. told me I was going to have a sister and you yeah. told me she's in China and you told me she was waiting for us. Yeah. She's still waiting for us. And right. it was just this really beautiful, sensitive moment. It was, it was really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, written. I thought, why can't they just adopt an older child instead of it mm-hmm. being a baby? Well, I mean, listen, there's, there's all kinds of different places and, yeah. and, and people that you can adopt from. So you're right. But maybe because they had already had a year invested mm-hmm. into the process, they just felt like they needed to go forward with that. Who knows? I mean, I think I've heard stories of people putting their hands in all kinds of different adoption right. pies because you're just never sure. Right. I have like friends I know who've adopted have just said like whoever needs us. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the whole, have, have you watched the show Parenthood? Yes. Okay. So there's that whole storyline right there with Julia and her husband. I can't remember his name who are looking to adopt yeah. because they want another baby, but she can't have any more babies and they've already got the little girl but, uh, and so they reach out and they're like, we'll foster, we'll adopt whoever. Yeah. And they're like, we need, we need housing right now for a little boy right now. And they're like, yeah. okay, yeah, yes. And they bring this boy who's I think six or seven at the time that they bring him. Yeah. But it, it was not at all what they were expecting, but yeah. that's, you know, that's what, sometimes that's what life throws you something yeah. that you're not expecting, but something that's equally important for you to go through. Mm-hmm. That was a good storyline in that, in yeah. that show. That was one of our, um, Juliet and I's wine nights. We would have Friday night. We would drink a bottle of wine together and watch Parenthood or Scandal was another show that we did (laughs) Gossip Girls. (laughs) Parenthood is one of those shows I loved so much. I was sad when it got canceled. And so I still have not finished it because I'm not ready to say goodbye to the Bravermans. Of course, (laughs) of course. Well, and there's something very special about how they all had relationships with each other. Like the chemistry that I was talking about before, you know, within that family unit. Yeah. It was so good. It was so good. Bonnie Bedelia. I love her. (laughs) Yeah. I love her. The, the episode where, um, that same, that same sister that you were just talking about, they, she has a falling out with her husband Yeah, and she's separated from him. And all the siblings show up with all these, like, they've all lied about why, why they're there, but she like <laughs> knows they're there to be supportive. Yeah. And then she's walking through the house and they're all sleeping on the couch, the floor <laughs> in yeah. bed with her. And I was like, oh, I just love this family. <laughs> yeah. It is really special. I like it too. <laughs> uh, okay. So um, then there was more with yeah. like the Jerry and Eileen storyline. Ugh, Jerry. I know. Do you With his 12-year-old freaking trophy <laughs> girlfriend right. whose name is Libby or Lindy or Mindy or who cares. <laughs> Frustrating. And then she's like, um, uh, uh, she, oh, Eileen says we've met before. And she's like, I don't think we have. And Eileen's like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and then just like walks away. And then Jerry tries to like bully her about, yep. um, 
the show. Gosh, what a piece of My Fair Life show. I think we mentioned it a little bit, but for the people that haven't watched, even though you probably should because you cannot follow us at all. We're not going in a linear <laughs> We're all over the place. chronological order at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but My Fair Lady, so because of the divorce, all of their assets are put into escrow, essentially, mm-hmm. including the show My Fair Lady, which was supposed to be produced like within the next month or so with Derek as the director. So now Eileen has Derek working on this workshop, but Jerry's like, Hey, guess what? I'm opening my fair lady as, as scheduled and whatever, and trying to bully her into just getting out of the business and getting out of her, you know, she's, she's too emotional for this, I think mm-hmm. is what he said. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and she throws her Manhattan into yes. his face. The one he bought her. But okay, there was this really funny moment though, because at that time, Derek got up because another man in the restaurant was like, hey, can I have him for a second? Oh so yeah, but, but we know who that man was. Who was it? <laughs> oh no, who was it? Am I going to feel stupid? <laughs> he, he's like the head of Jameson Theaters. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't know what those people look like. He looks way different now because uh, he he doesn't. So, okay, I'm going to show you a picture. <laughs> okay. Because um, I don't feel stupid because I don't think I've ever seen a picture of the head of that theater. <laughs> you, well, you you will you will totally uh, when I show you the picture of him, you will totally be like, oh, wait, I know that person. <laughs> I was guffawing watching this scene, right? So it's not even that important either. It is just heard in like a whisper. You, The microphone does pick it up, but it is not meant to be the main action, right? But you, you right. pan over to where Derek is witnessing the Manhattan being thrown into Jerry's face by Eileen, and he stands up to leave. And as he stands up, so Daryl Rothson, I'm assuming says, yes. you know, it's, it's this vampire musical. <laughs> I, was laughing so I know I was like, well, wait, okay. What year was that? Well, what did, what did we decide? We did, we did Lestat and dance of the vampires. Mm-hmm. Wait. So, but was and so 2011, wasn't one of those shows like happening around ish then? Did Telsey do casting for Lestat? I don't, I don't remember. Cause I think, I think mm-hmm. I did, I did dance of the vampire and I mm-hmm. think you did Lestat. Mm-hmm. I think is how, I think is That's how that. That's exactly right. Jor- so it's Jordan. I'm going to edit this out. Jordan Roth. Oh, okay. So, but I can't like you look. Okay. <laughs> I feel that you would know who this is. Lestat and I'm just like, was 2006, early 2006. Okay, so like because this is what he looks like now. I mean, that's like super square how he was. That like he. This is how. Oh my gosh! Super different. Wow. Um, he he's like a fashion icon now. Um, let me see. That's video. I don't want to show that, the video. But anyway, that's him with his mom. <laughs> oh, wow. It is the same guy. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. he totally looks like Mr. Anderson from The Matrix in that scene. I know. I mean, I, 
some somebody before we start rewatching showed yeah. like a clip or a picture of him in it, and I was like, I, I mean, I know that's the same person, and I do remember because I had been to the Jameson offices and like yeah. walked past him, and that's what he used to look like. Okay, but it's just like my brain is like, what? <laughs> I. So I wouldn't have known either way. Yeah. Well, I mean, so Jordan is a huge deal in the theater community. I mean, he owns that the St. James and like four other theaters. Yeah. Well, and I knew that it was all owned by that one guy. So you've got like the Nederlander Corporation and then you've got Jude Jamson essentially own all of the theaters and Schubert Schubert. own all of the theaters in and Hilton, but, or yeah, Hilton own all the theaters in Broadway. But I don't, ever think of the people that own the theaters it's just weird it's it's because he's excuse me he and his mom are like two of the most visible like like you know they're they're um because also he produces a little bit um as well whereas like the other ones are they used to back in the day, like in the eighties, that was like, you had to produce in order to fill your theater where like, mm-hmm. you don't have to do that so much anymore, but right now you're just more of like a landlord. Right. Right. But, but he does still, um, produce and, and cool. because Jude Jameson is such a institution. I mean, I remember going into that office <laughs> and there were so many Tony's <laughs> I I didn't realize they were real. Like I remember walking past yeah. like this credenza that was just filled with Tony awards and it took me a really long time to register that they yeah. were all real. Do you just want to like spin the coin? Oh yeah, but I was I like I'm in an interview. Go, I can't do this. <laughs> but also it took me so long to register they were real that I mm-hmm. just like I didn't you know, I wasn't even there long enough. And then after I was like leaving, I was like, oh my God, those were real. <laughs> so many, so many. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Oh. But yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the, one of the first sort of cameos by, um, Cause, cause even though Michael Riedel was talked about, he wasn't seen yet, but right. he, he, he'll show his face. Yeah. <laughs> in a, in a later episode, I think it's season two. Okay. Yeah. He shows his face. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm so, so the curious only- if there was, I mean, maybe they were just making jokes about the failures of vampire musicals is probably what they were doing probably I mean at that point there had been like three I think failures so it was just very funny that it was just like vampire musical what (laughs) and looking over at the the Manhattan it's so funny (laughs) but I was just (laughs) laughing so hard in that moment and then we do have a kind of a I feel like okay so in these expositional uh episodes. I feel like there always has to be kind of the problem that crops up so that there can be a solution later on or so that that problem will change the relationships, change the action, whatever it is later on. Right. So now you've got Dev and Karen's character 
uh, Dev has a very important dinner meeting with uh, the mayor or the governor. Because right does? now he's Dev, the boyfriend. So he's the assistant oh, deputy was, right, but, press secretary. But, right, right. So this was this wasn't the mayor. This was like uh, one of the dep, like a deputy mayor. This okay. was like a second or third in command, which would have given him a promotion. Okay. But he's, I mean, like he's actively in it to be promoted to right. an actual press ser- secretary and not right. just assistant, whatever. It's, it's, it's a big deal. And he's yeah. asked Karen to be there and Karen says, I will be there. She's got this dance call though, this dance rehearsal call work through with Derek. So everyone is let go there. He's like, great. Everyone go home. Fantastic. She goes, she has enough time to do her hair and makeup and change into a pretty dress before Derek comes out. And it's like, um, where do you think you're going? Yeah. And in the meantime, she's already text Dev saying she's on her way. Right. He's then bullying her basically to get back into the room. It's like, we got to work on our scene. Oh, you don't think this is important? Yeah. And so she's like, okay doesn't have the wherewithal to say, give me just a second. Let me text my boyfriend just right. kind of leaves it. So she's going through this scene work with the director. He's calling and texting her phone. It's blowing off the hook, but she can't do anything about it. So she shows up to this meeting and she's hopelessly late. She missed yeah. the entire thing. The thing. So they've got this big fight that happens, but it's, you know, <laughs> I just, it's really interesting because within the note that I wrote down here, and I can't recall what the, what the verbiage was, what they were talking about, what it was actually, except that I think that it was in this scene, but the man in politics is trying to teach Karen about boundaries, (laughs) saying, saying stuff like, Hey, listen, you've got to put your foot down. You know, he can't, you can't just be in this rehearsal all night long. Isn't he the same guy that called you at 10 in the, 10 in the evening to come over for a private coaching and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I'm sorry. How Mm -hmm. often were you working at the office every single night late with no consequence whatsoever? But now all of a sudden this incredibly important event, a one-off for Karen, because nothing like this has ever happened for her before. And you claim to be supportive. And yet this one thing happens. Because it inconvenienced you. But it didn't have to. Because her being there had nothing to do on his getting a promotion or not. Although, so it was weird, right? In in the conversation with the deputy Mm -hmm. mayor, he makes this crack about, um, so Dev says she's coming. She said she's on her way. Mm-hmm. And then the deputy mayor says something like, um, oh, it made me angry. I it know like, exactly what you're going to say. And I can't recall it either. It was something like, uh, good because we like to see commitment from our workers. It was like something like that. Yeah. Some, it was something like, it felt very much like we need to see that you have your house in order. Yeah, you know that, that you're keeping like. the little woman on Ugh. a short like leash kind of a thing. So That's gross. what it felt and his like. His wife giggled. Yeah, his wife did. laughed at it and was you know, and she made a crack that she never sees him. Right. And it's just like oh, gross! It's so gross to me. Yeah. So gross. And this is why I'm single <laughs> because I don't want to put up with it. I know. You don't get I to know. change my life. 
listen, it's a relationship and we can come together, but you don't get to come into my life and tell mm. me that it's going to change because you're here. Yeah. <laughs> I've had decades to be on my own and to work my life the way that I like it. Yeah. You can't, you're not just going to come in and change it all up because you're the man and that's supposed to happen. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I'll let you have your things. You let me have my things. That's right. <laughs> Oh, Lordy. I know. But yeah, that was really gross. It was well, so like, gross. You know, it's, the, it's that kind of qu- that quintessential scene that you see in a lot of movies and TV where he's sitting at the table all by himself. The restaurant right. is closing around him. She right. comes running in from the street going, yeah. ah, did I miss it? Of course you did. How much yeah. later is it? I'm like, you could have texted him while you were on the train going, hey, right. guess what? Right. I just got out meet me at the apartment, but no, yeah. this is what they do. It's fine. And right. he's like, no, <laughs> it's over. And he gets up and starts to leave. And she's like, but wait, aren't we going to talk about this? Talk about what Karen, I can write this scene just from my memories <laughs> of these scenes that have been written. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I totally do. It's yes. Yes. Over and over. And it's, it frustrates me that, and I know that it is a device. I know right. that it is a formula, but it still is like, you can't come up with something better than that. Like, really, that's where we are right now? I wonder, though, if this is, like, to point out the demise of the relationship and, like, where the cracks were because they thought it was so... Yeah. Like, everyone thought it was so, yeah, perfect. Her parents were, like... Right, right. her parents were, like, marry him. You you need to, like, snap him up. And, And... We're, we're as the audience, you know, it's, this show is created by a woman. Mm -hmm. So she's like highlighting how a dev first tells her, you know, you need to just suck it up. Mm -hmm. And Karen's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I feel like if the show were created by a man, he wouldn't, that would not be dialogue that would have come out of Karen's mouth. Never. I think, I think, um, the whole reason that scene we just talked about happened was because Teresa's highlighting how it's okay for men to have high powered demanding positions. But when a woman is going for her dreams and her dreams will also be demanding high powered and mm-hmm. require her to work late, then it's an issue. Oh yeah. Always. I think, I think so. Even though it is a device that, that we see often, I think like, Therese is using it in a different way where she's That's trying true. to highlight these discrepancies and how very we true. allow men to have, have these, these, um, you know, we, we allow men these concessions, but when it comes to women and their dreams, we don't allow them yeah. those same. Yeah, you can have your dreams as long as you're home by six so that you can make me my dinner and right. take care of the children and, and my life doesn't change at all. Yeah. Like you can do whatever you want. It's like an iceberg. You know how you only see the tip of it, but then underneath you've got this enormous block of ice, right? So all we see is the tip. And as long as, as long as what you show me on the outside is everything as normal, then you can do whatever you want to underneath the water, right? which is ridiculous. But it also comes from this kind of like, I'm getting, I'm totally supportive of you until you get close to success and then maybe I'm not so much on board. Yeah, oh, I didn't yeah. realize that this was going to impact me so much. Right. So maybe we should rethink this. I've thought about this a lot. Cause if you look at all the women 
um, who after they win Academy Awards get divorced mm-hmm. or break oh up with gosh. whoever they were with at yeah. the time of winning, you know, like Julia Roberts and Benjamin Bratt like broke up right after uh, Reese mm-hmm. Witherspoon and her ex-husband got a divorce. They were together a long time. Yeah, Ryan. And Faith. after she and after she won that Academy Award, they got divorced not very long after. Hillary Swank and um and and uh, the other low brother. I don't remember his first name. Chad. But, uh, Chad. But after she won her second Academy mm-hmm. Award, uh, you know, that marriage didn't last very long either. And it's, yeah. it, I, you know, it's been very interesting watching that trajectory. And it's just like, in, in all three cases, I would say the, the, their, the women's careers have in, in some situations, like they've taken a step back to have families and stuff like on purpose, but for the most part, like that's what, that's what for some of them, they, they literally wanted to. Yeah. Like in some case, like in Julia Roberts case, it was like a choice. She, cause she didn't have to. And like, when she's come back, like Danny, her husband seems quite supportive. Like there doesn't seem to be a problem. Um, so in her, in her particular case, it really was a choice. You know, she was like, Mm -hmm. I was making $20 million a movie. You know, I'm at a certain age in my life where like, I wanted to have some kids. So I did that. And I just like hung out for a little while. I was just watching, um, an interview with Meg Ryan, who I didn't, I didn't know she like never really wanted to be an actor and just sort of fell into it. Really? Yeah. It's really funny. But so then she, after a while, she was like, I just kind of want to hang out with my kid. And like, maybe I want to adopt one. So it was like 20 years of just like not really working very much sure. on purpose. Yeah. And now she's coming back as a director. Gosh. I mean, if I made $20 million in one, in one job. Right. And Julia was making that per movie for a while. Oh, I mean, that's just nuts. I wouldn't have to ever work. I mean, like you could really pick and choose what you were wanting to do. Right. There's no, you don't have to hustle anymore. Right. And so in in Reese's case, like she, she was not making 20 million a movie like Julia was before Julia sort of took a step back. But, um, her, she, she, she just changed course because she was like the roles I was getting were garbage. Mm -hmm. You know, you would think that after you win an Academy award, like you would get some really great roles. And she was like, I wasn't, I was noticing like there weren't good roles for women. And so the first movie she actually produced was Penelope. Have you ever seen Penelope? I love. So do I. So do I. I love Christina it. Christina Ricci has a pig face. It's yes. such a, it's so charming and I love it. I love it too. And, um, and so that's when her production company was called type a films, but it changed. She changed it to now it's called hello sunshine and it's a media she's company. Great. Well, cause she's really putting, she's putting a women centric yeah. role within the film and TV uh, well, just mostly film, I think, right? I don't think she does. She does TV. She does, yeah. Does she produce TV as well? She does, and it's turning into, like, a media company. I was watching an Fantastic. interview with her and yeah. uh, her CEO and their, her, her television president. Okay. Um, and, I mean, they're, like, they don't want to just do television and film. Like, 
They're also like wanting to be a bigger like social media presence and really just like encompass media. So they're looking to be a media company. Awesome. um, Which is really cool. But, you know, I, I sort of hearkening back to all of that, like these women were talking about, like this stuff was sort of birthed out of an industry that didn't have a good place for them. And also like they're the change in life course. Cause in Reese's case, she divorces Ryan and her husband that she has now is the one who said, why don't you produce? Which changed <laughs> her it. life. Yeah. Right. It's like you get one husband who can't handle your success mm-hmm. and leaves. And then you get the next one. Who's like, I can, not only can I handle this, but I'm also going to encourage you to do more because do I more. think you're really smart. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, there, that is what it comes down to. It's an either, or, you know, it's yeah. like, you're more successful than me, which means I am less than you. And that's not the case at all. No, because we're all individuals and we all have our own trajectory. And right. so like the idea of that, like, I mean, the whole, the thing that I take away from the musical, the last five years mm-hmm. is that same kind of thing where it's kind of reversed because he's super successful and she's stunted and doesn't feel the support from him, but he ultimately goes off and sleeps with someone else. I don't know. It's, but it's that same kind of thing where it's like, Oh, you're not supporting me in the way that I want to. I want you to. Mm -hmm. So you're nothing to me anymore. Yeah. It's gross. I don't like that show. (laughs) Oh, and I totally forgot about the sex scene. For Mm. Okay, so because it like, came, it popped to- up on the screen. It Awful. popped up, and I was like, "Oh, oh Lord!" I totally forgot, and I clutched yeah. my pearls again. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of clutching of pearls on this show. I did. I was like, I I remember going. I forgot. Oh gosh, I forgot. <laughs> yes, I totally did. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, oh, oh, okay. Oh, I didn't remember that that was going to happen, even yes. though it." I don't know. It was this gross kind of like they were working on the scene. Yeah. Ivy and the director were, and she asked some really good questions, some really insightful questions. Mm-hmm. And then he mm-hmm. comes over and he's like, may I? And she goes, uh-huh. And she takes down her, he takes down her like hair it. and, and billows it over in front of her shoulders and just kind of like looks oh. into her face. And then no. the next is cut scene to this in bed it's so unacceptable. Gross. It really, he's it a terrible person because he is a, he is in power. So it doesn't yes. matter that she is consenting to it. It should never have come up in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> I know. I know it really is. Someone has to have responsibility because listen, if we're coming from a place that we already feel subjugated, right. Then we're going to do whatever we can to gain whatever power or whatever amount, you know, of, of anything that we can grasp. Right. But so the person in charge should be the one to say, you know what, this is unacceptable. And I'm so sorry. You know what? Let's, if, if I truly like you, let's wait until all of this is over when there's right. no conflict of interest anymore. That's but right. men cannot ever be the ones no, that are responsible. Cause they're Why thinking with the other, they're not thinking with, I mean, they're thinking with the, the specific brain elsewhere. Yeah. Not to the <laughs> gross, not upstairs, only downstairs. Nope. 
Good grief. So frustrating. But again, Tom is right. He's a terrible person. He's a terrible person. And then there's a scene between Derek and Eileen later where he says, I need to tell you something before it gets back to you. And I thought he was going to mention having sex with Ivy after Ivy has, spoiler alert, been hired as the Marilyn. Yeah. Uh, but then he goes, no, your husband reached out to me to do my fair lady, but I told him no. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, so we're supposed to love you now? Get out of here, you jerk. <laughs> I know. Like, how, why is it that you I can treat Eileen with Eileen, but, but like, I was like, but you're a terrible person. Terrible. And oh, the only reason you probably did that is because maybe you feel like a tiny pebble of bad that you're mm. about what you did, but it's like so small. It's a mouse poop size of right. feeling bad. And so you're like, eh, I'll throw him mm-hmm. a bone. <laughs> yep. Ugh. Derek. <laughs> Derek. Oh, man. And that's the end of my notes. <laughs> this is a good episode. And I really love 20th Century Fox Mamba. Oh, so good. 20th Century Fox Mambo. So much fun. <laughs> so yeah. much fun. Oh man. Uh yeah, so next week we'll we'll see. We'll see. Oh, we didn't hmm. talk about the letter. The letter Remind that me. that Deborah Messing's character writes to the baby. So sweet. So, so they're in like a support group of some kind. Yeah, it's like a support group for for um, people who parents. are yeah yeah, right. which totally makes sense. I have friends Absolutely. who've been through the process, and God knows, you know, support is like sure, oh, um, so needed. So um, and in the episode, like after they have that whole argument, she was starting to write it and threw it away. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. It wasn't right after the argument. It was, they weren't having an argument at that moment. He was saying he wanted to go back to school, which this is a piece I love. This is a piece I love though. He was a stay at home dad for like most of their son's life. And then was like, honey, is it okay if I go back to work? And I'm like, okay, I'm here for this. I'm here for some revolt, like role reversal where sure. the dude's staying home and the, the wife is like making all the money and why they live mm-hmm. in that palatial, palatial <laughs> apartment. Yes. Which I don't think is realistic when we're talking no. about like composers for, and lyricists no. for musical theater, but okay. <laughs> I'll let you have that smash, whatever. Um, yeah, but, but uh, so after that scene, which was a pretty cute scene. Yeah. Um, she, she does like just throw away the letter. So you don't think she's going to write it. But then at the end of the episode, she's in the support group and she has written the letter and it's really sweet. And then he walks in and sits with her, um, and is, and is and going to try to like, support her yeah. again. Yeah, they're, and they're yeah. going to try to still continue on this adoption journey. Yeah. I just think you don't have to, okay, at that point, it's two years. You don't have right. to put your lives on hold anymore. You can't put right. your lives on hold anymore. No, no, no. Because if no. you're not working for two full years, how are you going to support this new brand new baby? Well, it's just that and all the cost of adopting, you know, especially right. a child that's not in it's this country, like the travel costs. Dozens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, 
His no. whole I mean, salary and, could technically go to just that and yeah. hers would pay for everything else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fine. I think yeah. that's a, a more well-rounded family from the point of view of a social worker, certainly. Right. Totally. She's not coming in and saying, okay, so for the next two years, I need you to be available at the drop of a hat. Right. That's not the way that it works. That's not the way life works. That's right. And if, if the only people that were able to adopt children from China were independently wealthy people who didn't have to work. Nobody, <laughs> there'd be no adoptions it, it, at all. There wouldn't be exactly. There'd be a no. lot of orphanages full of children in China. And there still are, but it and would be are. even worse. Yeah. Yeah. They just make it so prohibitive, it seems. I, well, I feel like it's so strange because you know, having friends who've been through this process and like, obviously, you know, the, the people that I know that I've been through it, I already knew them for years before they were, they were walking this journey. So I know like what deeply good, loving, kind people they are that will be the most epic parents. And so then you see like what they have to go through to get to that point. And some of them, I mean, the process just beats them down. Yeah. And I'm like, but these are literally the people you want to be fostering and, and adopting these, your, these children. And then you see like, I mean, there's so many horror stories from, um, young people who've come out of the foster care system where there's like really heinous people Mm -hmm. raising them and taking care of them. And then I, you know, I just, Sometimes I'm like, God, I don't quite understand why it seems so hard for such good people and so easy for such terrible people. I don't understand. (laughs) I mean, the whole process is sad. Yeah. Well, because if you're if you're looking at having to prove yourself constantly over and over and I mean, like if you just naturally have a child. No, but you don't have to take a test. You don't have to do anything. You just have to pay for the hospital bill and move along. Right. And you can raise that child however you want to. There's no proving system in that. You just have the baby and you have the baby. Right. But in the process of adopting, you have, you come against hurdles at every interval and you have to again and again, prove yourself worthy. Yeah. But of whose opinion? Do you know what I mean? Like it changes. So you might you know, pass with flying colors with social worker number one, but social worker number five has issues with, with the way you keep your household. And you're like, well, you really won't have anything to do with the way that I keep my household, but you do because you're potentially putting a child into that household. Right. And if you're not comfortable because that's not the way you would run your household, well, then you've got issue, but it's all subjective, which is ridiculous. It's crazy. I, I mean, I think like adoptive parents are people who like really want to adopt and are like really deeply good people are just like the most miraculous human Mm -hmm. beings because there are so many children who need good homes. And for you to know, like you, I, I hear people say like, such disparaging things sometimes about adoption. It really makes me angry. Mm. Um, especially coming from a Christian perspective, because like this should be something like technically we as Christians are like grafted in, right? Like we are basically adopted into the family of God. And so we should 
above all other people deeply understand how powerful and important it is to, to open your heart in a way that allows for people who were not born to you by blood to yeah. be able to come into your family and to love them as if they had. Yes. And um, amen. So I just, adoptive no, parents are just true. wonderful. Well, and, and I will put in good foster parents into that as well. Yeah. It's my brother and sister-in-law were fostering for a while and mm -hmm. it's a very challenging thing yeah. to do, you know, in, in, they had two different cases. One was very short term and one was very long. Well, not very long term, but like long enough term, yeah. but there are medical issues sometimes that you yeah. have to contend with. There are behavioral issues, Yeah, but from a point of view of someone who's basically been traumatized, do you yeah. know, like they're coming, right. it's, it's, it's not, it's not always a good situation that yeah. they're coming from. You know what I mean? It's not always from another loving foster home or, or home situation. Yeah. It's yeah. something has happened in their lives that makes it so that they do not have any biological family that are willing or able to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And they must go into a stranger's household and trust that yeah. those strangers are going to have their benefit in mind. Yeah. And that's not always the case either. It's so not. That's, it's not. How did we get on this tangent? I this, love it. I, this is another reason why I love Anne with an E. Oh, sure. Have you watched it? No. I mean, I only watched what was available years ago. I haven't watched it since. It's not, the whole thing's on Netflix. I know, but I oh. haven't watched it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't finished it, I should say. But I love, I mean, like, because I'm still, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I oh, love good. it. But I grew up on the original, and that original version of Anne with Green, Anne of Green Gables. Has I mean, I did too. But I open your you uh, listen. There's space in your heart for both of them. I promise you. <laughs> I promise I you because I, I did do. too. And then yeah. I watched Avonlea. This bit. Listen, oh, I love. I used to watch Avonlea like right after the the new Mickey Mouse Club was on. Yes, <laughs> same. <laughs> Same girl. And I never understood why they talked so weird until I realized it was a Canadian show. Yeah. <laughs> and so Jasper is playing Matthew. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. I just. I love it. And don't get me wrong. I really do love it. I'm actually, maybe I'll get back into that. Thanks so much for joining us on this miraculous adventure of season two, or of, of season one, episode two, two. Of, of Smash. Smash. All right. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. You're wonderful. <laughs> we love you, geeks. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E -E org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.